Well, good morning. So good to see you all. It's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, do we look any older? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it is good to be back. Good to see all your faces. And um, we accomplished just about everything we wanted to in the past year there in the States. Got a young boy married off. Uh, ben is now married and happily living with his sweetheart in Greenville, South Carolina, going to seminary there at Bob Jones. Uh, our oldest son actually met one of the bridesmaids at the wedding, and now he's seriously dating her and talking about marriage as well. Uh, and we left Anna. You remember Anna? We left Anna at Bob Jones uh, to start her degree in nursing. Her plan, I think, is to finish her bachelor's degree and uh, then move back to Australia and get her master's degree here. So that's her plan. Who knows? She may get her MRS degree while she's there, and that may change everything. So, But, uh, yeah, um, some people said I was crazy. Some people said uh, I was brave for choosing to preach, still, uh, still uh, with jet lag. Uh, we got in on Thursday. Uh, I, I suppose it's more the more the more the uh, the previous, uh, the, the more the crazy that I'm doing it. But uh, I cannot be responsible for everything I say this morning. <laughs> but um, you know, I get a lot of questions uh, about uh, you know, 20 years. We've been we've been in Australia for 20 years. Been in the ministry with ABWE for 25 years. People are starting to ask us there in the states about retirement. When are you going to retire? And I'm thinking. You know, we've got another good 10 years, 15 years or more uh, to, to minister before we even start thinking of that. But they say, you know, where are you going to retire? Well, I guess that may de- be, depend on where the grandkids are. You know, if they're, if, except, except Russia. You know, Ben wants to be a missionary to Russia. We're not moving to Russia to be near the grandkids. Uh, but wherever they are, maybe that's where we might retire. And then they say, um, what are you going to do when you retire? And I say, and I thought about it a bit, and I said, well... I think polishing mirrors is the thing I could see myself doing in the near future. That's a joke. Okay. Well, I'll try a better one. Let me see. There's this general husband in, her major wi- in this major wife. Oh, never mind. That's been told. Uh, all right. You know what? I need some prayer. Uh, I, uh, let's, let's bow our heads and we'll pray for the Lord's blessing on his word. Lord, thank you again for your faithfulness. And Lord, we've heard already testimony of your faithfulness your faithfulness in marriage, your faithfulness in ministry. And so, Lord, thank you for providing. Thank you for giving us your word and the faithfulness of your word. And, Lord, as we look into it this morning, may you guide our hearts. May you encourage us. May you challenge us to live out your word. May we pay attention to it. Lord, may may we take heed to it. And most of all, Lord, may we live it out in our lives each and every day. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Psalm 30. Now, Brian told me that I could go short and simple this morning. And I don't know how short it is, but I'll be simple. Uh, Psalm 30, if you want to turn there. How do you respond to trouble? I mean, how do you react when turmoil comes into your life and when conflict and crisis comes into your life? Do you complain? Do you criticize or do you collapse? And when the dark clouds, the dark storm clouds start rolling in, do you despair? Now, have I turned this thing on? 
I haven't, have I? You know what? No matter what the Lord puts into your life, no matter what trials and tribulations and situations come in life, you're going to be, you're going to live a life of praise and thanks to the Lord no matter what. Well, Abraham Lincoln understood the need for a correct response of praise and thanksgiving during the darkest hours of the Civil War. And during that time, Abraham Lincoln issued a proclamation there in the U.S., calling for a national day of thanksgiving. And I'll remind you again, this was during the, the years of the Civil War, the U.S. Civil War. And the following, actually, is a text of a speech that Abraham Lincoln gave on the day that he signed the Thanksgiving Proclamation. So here's, here's what he said. He said this, It is the duty of nations, as well as men, to own their dependence on the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations are blessed whose God is the Lord." We know that by his divine law, nations, like individuals, are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world. May we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins, to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people? We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. It has, seemed fit, uh, it has seemed to me fit and proper that God should be solemnly and reverently and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore acknowledge, <clears throat> sorry, I do I therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. Abraham Lincoln, October 3rd, 1863. You know, those words are as much a sermon as they are a political speech, aren't they? And they echo the progression of Psalm 30. And you see, there is a cycle of life that all of us go through. 
And I want you to look on your sheets. Do you all have one? Do you need one? Raise your hand if you need to get one. But there is a, there's a circle there with some blanks. And clockwise, beginning at the top of that circle, in the blank there on your sheet, at the 12 o'clock hour, write the word prosperity. Prosperity. God gives good gifts, and we prosper. We prosper financially. We prosper physically. We prosper, let me see if I can say it right, familially. We prosper and we increase. And even in the face of difficult times, difficult economic times such as we have today, we know prosperity like no other time in history. But then moving on from the three o'clock uh, to the three o'clock hour, you might fill in the word presumption. Presumption. We presume or we take for granted what God has given us. And like Israel in the promised land, we forget the Lord and all that he's done for us. And like the United States of America, in the words of Abraham Lincoln, we become intoxicated with unbroken success. And we become too proud to the, pray to the God who made us. And that's presumption. Continuing on to the six o'clock hour there, you might fill in the word pain. Pain. In response to our presumption, God saw, at times corrects us. He chastens us to turn our thoughts and our dependence back to him. And we often experience pain. Now, I'm not suggesting that everything that bad that happens to us is because of something bad that we've done and God giving retribution for that. Uh, I'm not suggesting that, but uh, I'm not suggesting if you get a flat tire on the way home today that God is punishing you for something that you've done this week. Okay, uh, I, I'm simply recognizing that God uses trials and tribulations and suffering and pain to teach us and to change us. And if it weren't for the painful seasons in our lives sometimes, I think uh, I, we would definitely not have grown as we have in our spiritual lives. Then go around to the nine o'clock hour and write the word praise. Praise. Our mouths then utter praise for God's uh, deliverance, for his provision, for his blessing. And we praise him for his goodness and his, his long-suffering towards us, his unconditional love, his forgiveness. And if we step back and we really looked at God's mysterious working in all of our lives over the years, uh, we might see that cycle. And we can see it in the pages of Scripture. We certainly see it in the life of the nation of Israel. I think Psalm 78 is a great example of that. And we're not going to turn there, but Psalm 78 is a reminder to Israel not to forget all of the marvelous works that God had done for them. He brought them out of Egypt. He divided the Red Sea. He let them pass through that Red Sea on dry land. He led them by cloud and by fire. He miraculously provided food and water for them in the wilderness. He gave them victory over their enemies. He did all these things for them. Yet still in the psalm, it tells us in verse 11 of Psalm 78 that they forgot his works. 
He'd done all these things, these amazing, incredible things for them, and they forgot his works. They rebelled against him. So God had to deal strongly with their rebellion. And then they would repent and they would recognize their dependence on God and God would cease from his anger and God would bless them once again. And the whole cycle would start over again. Uh, But the psalm ends with praise to God because of his love and his care toward his people. Now, I've broken the psalm down this way in three points, three Roman numerals. You can write them down. Roman numeral number one is this. Prosperity produces presumption. Prosperity produces presumption. Now, I'll draw your attention to Psalm 30 and verse 6 right now. And it says there, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. So life was good. Life was good for David. Everything was going so well. And God has has favored David and he's made David's mountain stand strong. But instead of confidence in the giver, David trusted the gift. And he presumed that he would always enjoy the good life. He took for granted and he presumed that it, was, it would be clear sailing from here on out. Well, you see, presumption takes the good gifts that God has given us, perhaps wealth or health or family, and it imagines that we produce those things by our own efforts, by our own hands. And we assume that, uh, that, that health and wealth and family are consequences of something that we've done. You know, we've done well. Or maybe perhaps uh, we, we, we just assume that they're going to continue to happen. Since God's blessed us in the past, he'll continue to bless us in the same way. It'll always be there. Because we deserve them, right? Because we're living for him. We deserve these things. Charles Spurgeon explains in David's presumption that he fancied himself Secure. Now, that quote is actually listed on your sheet there. His mountain stood strong, the verse says. You could say, well, my health is flawless. You know, my, my pension is safe. My home is nearly paid off. Everything's going well. And when God's children... Pro- here, here's what he says. Here's what Spurgeon says. In David's presumption, he fancied himself secure. When God's children prosper in one way, they're generally tried another. For few of us can bear unmingled prosperity. So we shouldn't flatter ourselves. We shouldn't brag that any of this is our own doing. We shouldn't presume that we have preserved or produced our own well-being. And we shouldn't presume that we can preserve it in the future. Do we think, sometimes, do we think that we can insulate ourselves from adversity? No, in a moment, in a moment, God could take all those things away, couldn't he? In a moment, God could choose to withdraw something or someone very close to us. And in our year there in the States, when we were back at our home church, we had five men in one year. In the period of a year, five men lost their wives. 
It's a very tough time for our church. Now, that isn't a threat. That isn't a scare tactic. But we must acknowledge that our job may be lost at any given day. No, that's a clear and present danger today, right? Uh, our, we, we need to acknowledge sometimes that our home could be lost at any time, especially in this day and age. It's more common today than, than, than we think. Or perhaps it's our health. Our physical well-being uh, may be fragile. Our lives are but a vapor, the, the scriptures say. They appear for a moment and they vanish away. We put our trust in, in vitamins for health, you know, for length and quality of life. We look to our investments for safety and security uh, financially for the future. And we take pride in our possessions. We take pride in our positions. And our hearts are full of themselves. We prosper. And so what does God do when the good things he has given us actually turn our hearts away from him and we start focusing on the gift and not on the giver? Look at the last part of verse 7. It says this, You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. Roman numeral number two. Write this down. Pain punishes presumption. Pain punishes presumption. A lot of P's in there, don't we? God got David's attention. And metaphorically, David uses the showing of God's face as a point of favor and the hiding of God's face as God withdrawing his favor. And after David was deprived of God's good gifts, remember it says God hid his face from him, the last part of verse 7. David then realized and recognized that the source of his blessing was not actually himself. It was God. His blessing was from God. And of course, it's God's silence in his life. It's God's withdrawing of that blessing that produces prayer in David. And it produces prayer and it produces pleading in us as well. David did what he should have done all along. He called upon God for mercy. You see that in verses 8 and verse 10. Because you see, we don't call on God when everything's going well, do we? We don't need to. Right? Everything's going well. Uh, we don't depend on the Lord when we don't need help. Right? We don't need Him, so to speak. But the moment our health suffers... The moment our finances go into collapse, we lose our, jo our job, a family member is in trouble, then we become desperate, right? Then we begin to call upon the Lord and plead for his help. Whenever there's a crisis, whenever there's trouble. Now, the logic in verse 9 is fascinating here, isn't it? Here's what David is really saying. He says, you know, God, what will you get if you take my life? I mean, it's as, it's as if David is negotiating with God for the preservation of his life. Because the preservation of his life would enable him to praise God and thank him. 
What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Now, after my body decomposes, as it were, how can a dead man praise God? Will it tell of your faithfulness? So David is reminded that God is not just the one who gives him good gifts, but God is the one who holds David's life in his very hand. And so David cries for mercy, and David is pleading for his very life. And David reasons that if he were to die, then he wouldn't be able to tell others about God's goodness and God's faithfulness in his life. He wouldn't be able to tell others to repent of their own presumption and turn back to God. So I love the reasoning of David here. But finally, we come to the third point in our outline. Roman numeral number three, though I've rearranged the order a little bit. We're going to go back to the, uh, to the first part of the, of the chapter here. Roman numeral number three, praise, repent, praise repents of presumption. Praise repents of presumption. Now, I want you to look back at the beginning, verse 1 of Psalm 30. In verse 1, it says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. And, that, of course, that was his, his concern in verse 9, right? And David exalted God because God preserved him from his enemies. And he preserved him from the horrible situation that he was in. A situation brought about by his own pride and his own presumption. Verses 4 and 5 explain that God's anger in judgment is but momentary. Look at verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but a moment. God is never angry with us forever. His anger is but a moment, but on the other hand, his favor, his favor is for a lifetime. So we may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. And I would certainly accept a moment of God's anger for a lifetime of God's favor, wouldn't you? I hope so. So when life seems to be sour, when everything seems to be crumbling, we have to remember, we need to remember uh, what we say that we believe. Because of Jesus Christ's righteousness imputed to us at salvation, God's favor wins over his displeasure. And God cannot be perpetually unpleased with us because we are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Our weeping will dissipate in the morning. Our winter will melt into summer. Our sighing will be replaced into singing. Grief to gladness. What was bitter will be made sweet when praise repents to presumption. And then we, like David in verse 4, can incite those who, who we know to praise God as well. 
Now look at verses 11 and 12. It says this, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me, with glad, clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So we've been around and we've been around and we've been around on this cycle of life. And God has certainly used difficult circumstances in our lives to remind us of himself. So that we will turn back to him and praise him and thank him for his goodness to us. So how is it that we can, as the Bible says, in everything give thanks? I think that's the secret to this cycle. And I want to pause for a moment here and I want you to look at that cycle of life again. On your sheet. And I want you to identify yourself maybe. In one of those cycles, in one of those points, one of those four spaces there. Are you enjoying prosperity right now? Are things going well? Are you prospering financially, physically, familially, spiritually? Or maybe you're in that second place. You're in that place of presumption. Now, I've worked hard for everything I've got. I earned it. No, I... I, uh, one reason I have good health is that I exercise every day and I eat right and I watch my weight and I get my annual checkup. Are you presumptuous? Perhaps about your children, maybe. Well, I've got great children because I'm such a great parent. Are you presumptuous today? Or maybe you're in that third spot in the bottom of the cycle there, the pain. And you say, I'm in a season of pain right now. Things aren't going very well, and you know some of the things that I've had have been taken away from me. I'm suffering. And it may be, it may certainly be through no fault of your own that you're suffering. But perhaps, maybe it's because God is trying to teach you some important lessons. And turn you back to praise and thanksgiving, that fourth space. Now think of those who might be watching you. Now, what a blessing it is for a son or a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter to be able to witness God's grace through pain in your life. I mean, you have an opportunity oftentimes through the painful experiences, the painful seasons in your life, through a trial that you're facing, maybe a trial that you're facing right now for your own family and friends to be able to witness and express, witness you express praise during that difficult time. What a testimony that is. So I want to read to you again. One more time, in light of all this, I want to read to you again Abraham Lincoln's address during the darkest hours of the Civil War. Here it is again. Here is what he said. Think about this. It is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their dependence on the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon. 
and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations are blessed whose God is the Lord. We know that by His divine law, nations, like individuals, are subject to punishments and chastisements in this world. May we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may be a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace too proud to pray to the God that made us. It has seemed to me fit and proper that God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And here in Psalm 30, if we might rearrange the psalm just a little bit, there in verses 6 and 7, David acknowledges that his prosperity has produced presumption. And in verse 6, he says, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. But then at the end of verses 7 through 10, there's a pain that comes into his life, a pain that punishes his presumption. And his life is perhaps in jeopardy, in danger. And as kind of bookends... (laughs) For the first few verses and the last two verses, it's David's praise that that repents of his presumption. So when we have an opportunity this morning, as we gather together, I hope we have been, uh, to give thanks and praise to God for his faithfulness, for his providence in our lives, for his goodness to us, may we find ourselves repenting of our presumptuous spirits our presumptuous hearts that we might have. And may that enable us to see the joy that will come in the morning and turn our hearts even to even more praise and thanksgiving to our God. Let's pray. Thank you again, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the encouragement it is, the challenge it is to us, Lord, that many of us have come here with varied experiences, various things they're going through that different stages in this cycle of life. 
Lord, I pray that you might help us to be able to, to pinpoint that. Lord, to know when we are being presumptuous, to know that we're, when we're being proud, too proud to need you, too proud to pray to the God who made us. Lord, may we, through the correction and chastisement that you put into our lives, Lord, repent of that presumption and turn back to praise and thanksgiving to you, acknowledging you as the giver of all our blessings. Lord, may we today come to you with praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen.